Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. First, I want to say a happy Mother's Day, and uh, I want to make sure I say, because I want to say this every year, but I know for some of us today is a very difficult day. I know for some people Mother's Day is a really sad day because you think about your mom who's maybe not with us anymore. And I also know today can be a difficult day because there are people either here or online that really would like to be a mom and are having a hard time becoming a mom. And this can be a tough day because it's a reminder of that. And so I want you to know that you're in our thoughts and our prayers and we're thinking of you. And I also want to make sure I say I'm thankful for Catherine, who's the mother of my kids. I'm thankful for my mom who raised me. And I'm thankful for all the people in my life that have been a, a mother figure and helped raise me and shape my faith. My dad's a preacher and had a huge impact on my faith, but I can't think of many things that shape my faith more than waking up on Saturday mornings and seeing my mom sitting at a table with her Bible open reading. And uh, you can be the preacher in the family and still and you can be the preacher's wife. And she had just as much, if not more, impact on my faith as my dad. So thank you for the, the mother figures in my life. And I hope all of you take some time today to think of the mother figures in your life and to reach out to them. We've been going through a series on the, the book of Ruth. I, I almost say the gospel of Ruth every time. It's the book of Ruth. And uh, we're on the fourth chapter, the final chapter. This won't be our last Ruth lesson. Next week, we're going to have graduation Sunday. And then the week after that, I want to do kind of a tie together of Ruth. But um, we, are, we are towards the end of our story. And we have one less thing to resolve. The story began with uh, tragedy and us wondering if Naomi's family would have an heir. And, now we know that as of the end of last chapter, Boaz has said to Ruth, I am going to make sure that someone redeems you, but there's one man that's a closer male relative than me. It's his responsibility. So either he will redeem you or I will, and I'm going to take care of it. And we even have this last part of Ruth 3, a cliffhanger. Of, then Naomi said to Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So it's imminent. This is gonna, we're going to get this resolved. And so we start with Ruth 4. If you want to turn in your Bible there or follow along, we'll be reading from Ruth 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, and he sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. I highlighted this because this is that thing I've pointed out multiple times. The narrator loves to say, and it just so happened that the person that Boaz was looking for happened to walk by just as he was sitting down. And we see that all over our lives where things just so happen, but they're not a coincidence. We know that it's God at work in our story. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So, we, so he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town, and he said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to, to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. You kind of get this idea that it's kind of like a, a legal courtroom type feel. In the presence of these witnesses. Uh, and uh, so if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so that I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am the next in line. To which the, the man responds, I will redeem it. So we kind of have a wait a second, he's supposed to say he won't do it, right? You know, Boaz, Ruth is supposed to end up with Boaz. What's going to happen? This is, she's not supposed to marry this guy. She's supposed to marry Boaz. 
and you have this tension. And I kind of think Boaz is maybe being strategic here because you notice he didn't mention Ruth at all in that. He, he's just talking about buying the land. And it's like when I was a little kid and I really wanted something and I started to be really nice to my mom and I really started to butter up. And, uh, you know, eventually she'd be like, okay, you're being pretty nice. What is it that you want? What's your actual motive that you're kind of hiding here? And I kind of think that's what Boaz is doing because just as this man says, okay, I'll redeem it. I'll buy the land. Boaz says, well, just wait, just wait one second. On the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do, I cannot do it. And you kind of get the idea that basically this man has his own family, probably, has his own wife and kids and land. And this custom is that he would have to marry Ruth and then he would be responsible for taking care of the Elimelech family land and all the children that come from Ruth. And so we, we're not supposed to see this guy as being a bad guy. We're supposed to see him as just like legitimately saying, I don't have the means to, to, to do this. I, I'm sorry, I can't. And so now the, you know, the audience like breathes a sigh of relief. Whew, okay. Uh, now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. The narrator is explaining something for us. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Part of me thinks this is, I think this is like, if ever someone's like, well, did you officially do that? And he's like, yep, got his shoe right here. You know, <laughs> you know kind of like, I guess shoes were recognizable enough, but yep, he gave me a sandal, so I, I promise. Um, but then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. So it, you kind of get this idea that it's, they know what they're doing. They've done this before. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. I want to point out a couple things here, and this is one of them, but um, they're speaking a word of blessing over them. But this is no ordinary word of blessing. We can't forget that Ruth is a Moabite. She is a foreigner. Not only is she not an Israelite, and in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we see lots of times where Israelites aren't too fond of non-Israelites, especially because in the Bible it says don't associate with Moabites because they're enemies. And because of Ruth's faithfulness, not only are they saying, may you be blessed, they are saying, may you be blessed like Rachel and Leah, who are the matriarchs of the family of Israel. It would, it would be like if someone who wasn't from America came to America, an immigrant came and did so many amazing things that we put them in like the America Hall of Fame with like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. You know what I mean? It's like, they're not just saying, hey, I hope you're, I hope you're blessed. They're literally saying, because of your faithfulness, I hope you are as blessed as the two greatest women, two of the greatest women in our, our people's history, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So another example here of kind of a little added thing here where it says, may you be like the family of Tamar. So Tamar is another story in the Old Testament of a woman who her husband passed away and she married his brother. 
because of this custom, and he passed away. And she had to be, take, make a really bold, risky decision to go and acquire an heir for herself. So it's an awesome kind of parallel between the fact that Ruth is a story of someone who boldly did something in order to have an heir for the family, and Tamar, too. So another little fun note uh, of, of in this word of blessing. And so one of the things I want to point out, I want to talk about, though, at a much bigger scale. I'm going to talk about this for a while, then we'll finish reading four, and then I'm going to talk about one more thing. But in Ruth 4.10, we have this line where Boaz says the reason why he's doing this is in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. So when we think of someone's name in our culture, what's your name? You know, when we name someone, our culture, for the most part, usually names people based on a name that we like, a name that sounds good. And we also have some people in our culture where the name has maybe some family significance or something like that. For example, Landry Joe is named Landry Joe because we like how Landry sounds. We like how Landry Joe sounds. But also because I have a, a lot of Joes in my family. My granddad's name is Joe. My dad's name is Joe. Catherine's dad's name is Joe. Her great uncle's name is Joe. So there's, we like the name and there's some family in there. Marshall's name is, we, his name is Marshall Phillips. We like the name Marshall. It sounds like a good, sturdy, kind of southernish name. Phillips is his middle name because that's a tradition in our family is that the son is the, gets the middle name. My middle name is my mom's maiden name. My granddad here, Papa, his name is Joe Tackett Ritchie because his mom's name was Mary Ethel Tackett. And my dad's name is Joe Allen Ritchie because his mom's name was Ann Allen. And my middle name, my name is Andrew Mitchell because my mom's name was Sharon Mitchell. And now Marshall's name is Marshall Phillips because of Marshall Phillips Ritchie because Captain's name was Marshall Phillips. So we have this, our names are for fun and there's some meaning. The names back then meant so much more than the names mean today. Everyone's name usually meant something. It, it like said, God is king, or God is good, or there's so much deep meaning in the names back then. But, but also, whenever you talked about someone's name, you were less talking about them, and you were more talking about their reputation, or their honor, or their, their glory, I guess you could say. Think about whenever God says, do not mistake my name, you know, do not use my name in vain. He doesn't mean don't go around saying God all the time. What he means is don't talk bad about my honor. Don't, don't misspeak about who I am as God, right? And so one thing I love about this passage and about this whole tradition, part of the tradition of why the law shows this rule of a guardian redeemer coming and taking care of this is because just like all of us, the people who were making these rules from God, they did not ever want someone to die and then for that person's family and honor to just disappear and to fade away. And sons and daughters are the ones that carry on people's legacy. Sons and daughters are the ones that pass on the memory of that person. And this family, Naomi's family, because her two sons died, because her husband died, and she has no heir, they are at risk of her family fading from the story. And that's what this tradition is about, is about maintaining someone's name, maintaining someone's honor, and keeping it going. And so part of why I want to talk about this is this amazing reality. We live in a world where all of us want our name to endure. I want people to remember who I am after I'm gone. I want people, but, but we all know inevitably, a lot of us, you know, it's just our names are going to trickle out over time. You know, I don't remember who my great, 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 great granddad is. I don't, I don't 
you know, it's been lost over time. And that's something that we want so badly is for what we do to matter, to last, and to endure. And I think it's such a beautiful thing, and I'm going to make this parallel, it's such a beautiful thing in this story that no one would have ever heard of Boaz's name, no one would have ever heard of Ruth's name if they had not spent their life and gone to such great lengths in order to save the name of the family of Elimelech and Naomi. It's because of them preserving that family name that we know their names. And so I want to make this point, and I think it's utterly important for our lives. Only when we dedicate our lives to preserving the name of God will our names have, the lasting impact, have a lasting impact in eternity. For those of you who want to have your name endure, there's only one way to do it, and it is to give of your life so that the name of God will continue and will last and will be glorified. The way for our story to not just be some small story that's like, oh, well, that person came and went. The only way for that to matter isn't to build the biggest buildings. It isn't to build the biggest statues of yourself. It isn't to have the most money. It isn't to, have, to be the most famous. Someday, people are going to forget about all the greatest athletes in our country's history. Someday, all the people are going to forget about who was the, the Caesar after this guy? You know, we're gonna, all those things will fade. Rome is in ruins. But you know what will never be in ruins is the story of God. The thing that will always last for all eternity, from before time to the end of time, is God's work in this world and what he's doing. And when you give of your life to that story and you, to making his name great, you will be a part of eternity. And your name will be a part of that story. Because we see, just like in this example of Ruth and Boaz, they didn't do anything out of their own selfish ambition. They did everything in a service and faithfulness to the line of Naomi and the line of her family. And guess what? I haven't really mentioned this much, but the name Elimelech means my God is king. And so what they did, everything they did was in order to maintain the name, the family line of God is king. So now let's finish reading from this Ruth 4. We get kind of this idea that the story kind of fades. And you know how in movies, like the screen goes black and then you have the thing at the bottom where it shows a picture and then it says like nine months later or something like that. This is kind of what we have here in Ruth 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, remember, it's so funny. Ruth is the one that's the name of the book. And she's the one that's so involved. But this story is about Naomi. It started with Naomi and it ends with Naomi. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. I like this because it's another example of the narrator saying something where you could either interpret it as Boaz or God. When she says, May he become famous throughout Israel. It's both saying, may God become famous for what he's done in providing a guardian redeemer, and may Boaz become famous for his service to your family. It goes back to my point I just said a second ago. We will never be famous unless our fame is in service and laying down of ourselves so that God may become famous and he may be glorified. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you and who is better, better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Remember when I talked about last week, what Ruth did by asking Boaz to be her guardian redeemer was that the children that come from them are not they're almost more Naomi's heir than they are Ruth's. And that's just such a sign of service and devotion and sacrifice. They didn't say, Ruth has a son. They said, Naomi has an heir. Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
And so this woman, and we'll talk about this more next week, but this woman who was a foreigner to the people of God, an enemy of God because of her steadfast faithfulness, is now the great-grandmother of King David, the greatest king in Israel's history, and the great, you know, the, the matriarch in the family of Jesus. She is in the lineage of Jesus because of her participation in serving God's story. It's pretty profound, pretty, pretty beautiful and amazing. But what I want to end by talking about is that one of the themes throughout the story of Ruth and one of the themes throughout our life and throughout the Bible is this idea of being empty and being full. We can all think of times in our life where we felt like we are on empty and we can all think of times in our life where we felt like we're on top of the clouds. We can think of times in life where we felt like we're in a wilderness. We can think of times in life where we felt incredibly joyful and happy. Life is a story of constantly feeling at times and seasons where you're on top of the mountain and you're in the valley. We all you're not living if you can't relate to that. You're not breathing if you can't relate to that feeling of ecstasy at some moments and just heartbreak at other moments. And that's a story that we see throughout Scripture. I, we have the people of Israel that are doing well, and they're doing so well that they get put into slavery in Egypt. Slavery. Then they're freed from slavery by Moses, and then they're in the wilderness. And then they're brought to the Promised Land, and then they keep making mistakes, and they go into exile, and they're they go into Babylon, and then they return home. It's just the story of Scripture, the story of the Bible, hills and valleys. And Ruth, the story of the book of Ruth, shows this beautifully because of the way the narrator does this. But in chapter 1, you have this beginning with tragedy after tragedy and death after death in Naomi's family. And then the end of the book is about new life, new birth, and joy. And one thing that I love is that immediately after you have the narrator explaining there was a famine in the land, and they went to Moab, and then her husband dies, and then her two sons die, and you just have all these terrible things happen. The next thing that comes is Ruth enters the story, and she says, I will never leave you. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. She responds to that tragedy with utter devotion and faithfulness and covenant love. And what comes right before all this birth and joy in chapter 4, what's the thing that comes right before this, is Boaz taking initiative and saying, I'm going to show devotion and faithfulness and kindness, and I'm going to redeem this family. Which brings me to what I think is a crucial point in the book of Ruth, that the covenantal loyalty of God, which we see through Boaz, we see through Ruth, and we see mostly through Jesus Christ on the cross, precedes and follows our valleys and our joys. Are you in a valley right now? Guess what's coming next? God's faithful love. Are you in a good place right now? Guess what comes next? God's faithful love. Are you in a tough place right now? Well, right before this, God's faithful love was there. Are you in a, are you in a terrible place right now? Well, guess what? Right before that, God's faithful love was there. In all of our hills and valleys, God's faithfulness is always right there before it, and He's always right there after it. And we see that most clearly through His Son dying on the cross for us. We see that most clearly through the fact that no matter where you are, Jesus died for you on the cross. And I hope that y'all will allow me. I'm gonna, I have some songs. There's, there's one song in particular that I'm really enjoying right now that's a worship song. That, and, and, and then an, another one that's a classic that I think you've heard before. But I want to end kind of by reading some of these lines from this song that I enjoy. It's called Graves to Gardens. And uh, then also I want to read, or I'm going to read some lines from another song that you know. But from the song it says, you turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty from ashes. You turn shame into glory. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. 
You're the only one who can. And then I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. In all of those places, God is before, he's in the middle, and he's after. He's present in all of those. He's with us in all of those. And if you are someone who feels like you're in a valley, if you're someone who feels like you're in a great place, I want you to know that God is there with you, and he's at work in your story. And his covenant and faithful love will follow you all the days of your life. And uh, I hope that if any of you would like to talk more about that life with Christ, if any of you would like to understand what it means to have that relationship with Christ, there's many of us who would love to talk to you. If any of you are in a valley and you would like to have someone pray with you, pray over you, then Steve Clifton's going to be in the prayer room immediately after service, and uh, we'd be happy to pray with you now as we stand and we sing this song.